Hello there and welcome to a very special episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan, a journalist, Richard Chambers. Well, if you're away from home right now, it's been an extremely worrying 12 months. When will we get back to see our relatives? Will our relatives be vaccinated? What is happening with the vaccine rollout in Ireland? There's so many questions regarding quarantine hotels and headlines in the BBC that Ireland's COVID-19 lockdown could extend past May. So many unanswered questions and really Richard is the man to answer them. Delighted that he could join us on the podcast today. We're putting the whole episode up everywhere because this is more of a public service episode. If you wanted to repay us for the podcast, head over to jigsaw.ie and kick in a small donation to our chosen charity partner who are doing incredible work for young people and their mental health across Ireland. I'm also attempting to run 2,000 kilometres in the space of 12 months with the help of Sonia Sullivan on The Irishman Running Abroad. You can donate to that at idonate.ie and to hear all our episodes including our Friday podcast with Marion McKeown looking at everything America go to patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad but for now sit back and enjoy the Richard Chambers COVID-19 update episode of An Irishman Abroad That's the small talk now let's get down to business now your programme what's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a f***ing job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Rigo! Well, the last few months have been among the most fraught, nervous and anxious. If you're an Irish person abroad listening to this, you'll identify with this rare type of anxiety that a lot of us have felt, even if you're as close to home as I am here in London. The feeling that how is Ireland handling this and why are these figures not matching up to the figures for vaccination and infection in the country that I am in. Now, I've had countless emails and messages from people all over the world wanting an episode to just kind of clear up what exactly is happening at home. What are the chances of us getting home? Will we have to quarantine? And what are the chances of our elderly relatives and relatives who are in desperate need and fearful of this uh, virus? What are the chances of them getting vaccinated before, let's say, April. Well, maybe there isn't a person better equipped to tell us the answers to these questions because he has been there on the ground since day one. Richard Chambers of Virgin Media News joins me. He's joined me in the past to talk about similar things. But this really is a bit of a, a, a gulf here, Richard. There is a, a sense, I feel, and a bit like the way the US election was covered that if I rang a relative in the States, they could tell me an entirely different story because we were only receiving 
a certain amount of news. And that's even being said with, you know, a tune in app on my phone where I can listen to Irish radio. There is no way to get a sense of what is going on without being on the ground. And that is where you have been since day one. I don't want to ask you what what's your sense right now, because it's too general a question. There's so many specifics to this. But what would you say to an Irish person abroad right now who is massively anxious that it doesn't appear to be uh, handled, that vaccines don't seem to be in the quantities they need to be in the country right now? Well, I would say, Jared, that that the anxiety that they have is one that's really broadly shared here. I don't think I've actually, like, even just before I came on, I I was tweeting out the latest vaccine data that I have there in terms of how many doses have been put out there. So 3.6% of the population has had first dose, 1.8% fully vaccinated. And those numbers are, as you're saying, completely dwarfed by what you sort of see in the UK. I think the next few weeks are going to be telling that there's going to be, if it doesn't ramp up now over the next couple of weeks, I think things are going to get very fraught. People are going to get very, very angry because what we're seeing now this week, the over 85s, finally are seeing vaccines into the community. That should see, there should be about 80,000 people this week vaccinated, which is about double what we've seen in previous weeks. So that would at least be a sign of progress for people, I think. Mm. The problem is, and it has been a problem across other European countries, vaccines approval vaccine deliveries to european countries has been far behind the united kingdom it's been far behind what we've seen in in other countries like israel as well and people people are very and understandably if you're living through a year of all of the things that have happened all of the fear the concern the anxieties of covid-19 and you have been told by governments, by public health officials, that vaccines are going to be the way out of it and that they're coming in the new year. And now we're into the 17th of February and things are seem very, very slow. There's obviously going to be a pent up anger, I think, there, especially mm. given what happened in, in, in the third wave of this of this pandemic, that things aren't happening as quickly as they perhaps thought they would. I mean, last night, I, I, I was sort of chatting to, to my sources in, in cabinet there last night. The Health Minister Stephen Donnelly told Cabinet, like his colleagues, that we, we could be confident that we'd receive some four and a half million doses of vaccine between April and June. You could see you could see vaccines to, you know, over to 2.2, 2.3, 2.4 million people in quarter two, which would be great, huge progress. But things are slower than they were initially thought because of so many different reasons. I mean, I don't have to even I don't even have to go back to. Yeah, well, before we get EU, into those reasons, yeah, right, before we get into the reasons, just a couple of things that you said there that I need to pick up on. That when you say a figure like 80,000 and you're sitting here in England and seeing numbers like 18 million uh, in front of you, seeing, uh, you know, by the weekend, we're hoping to have another 2 million. Do- like, it is extremely difficult to understand how Ireland is being left behind in this way. And as you say, the the reasons for that I do want to get into because it just doesn't make sense. It also makes uh, pro-Brexit people feel like, I feckin' told you so. Mm. They're very much of the attitude, well, you know, we went out on our own. Hey, look at us now. 
you and your cooperation and your massive bureaucracy have come and bitten you in the arse within six months. And I'm inclined to agree. Would Ireland be better off out here battling to get these uh, vaccinations on their own, using the bit of charm that they have uh, in negotiations that they've been known to have over the years? Does Are any of these things being discussed? And is there not a certain responsibility on you guys in mm. the media to be putting harder questions to people in government about how we are where we are? So to pick up on, on, on those points, the, the point about how, you know, Brexit Britain has done a, has done a job here. It's hard. It's hard to argue with the fact that they've the government response there, the NHS and how they've sort of gotten vaccines into arms has been it's been something of a triumph and it's been massively impressive to see. And so many Irish people work in the NHS as well. Jared, mm. and I'm, I'm sure even a lot of your listeners are actually Irish people working in the NHS and they do incredible work. And I'm sure that they have tales to tell about how impressive and the joy they see of getting so many people vaccinated. And that's that is great. It's hard to know exactly where Ireland would be if we weren't in the EMA EC sort of here's our joint. We're all in this together. Here's how we're going to get we're going to a certain percentage of vaccines in this country from what we totally buy in. It's hard to know. It's such a it's such a it's such an untethered hypothetical to like because it would never have arisen. You wouldn't have seen Ireland been in a situation where we're just going out on our own swinging for the fences and sort of hitting up Pfizer saying here. Sure, but we're definitely in a queue. We're definitely in a queue though, Richard. Like, you know, I know I'm I'm not I'm not an argument for pie in the sky here that like little old Ireland is going to be all by itself an absolute island. But, you know, we're at the back of a queue. There's everybody wants the thing and it's like, wait your turn. We've got a bigger population over here. Am I wrong on that? I think it depends on what you mean by queue. Like if you were saying by queue in terms of who ordered first and who's getting vaccines in. Well, clearly Britain is way up out there. They had all their deals done with AstraZeneca, with Pfizer. They had all these things approved and put in put in place quicker. So if you're if you're saying Ireland is behind the UK in the queue generally, that's absolutely correct. Mm. Like there's no way of, of arguing that. If you're saying Ireland is behind other countries in Europe in the queue, the stats, like I'm not, I'm not entirely familiar with the vaccine rollout in many other countries in Europe, but just having the figures in in front of me here, we're kind of up the top end of it, to be honest, in terms of where we're getting doses in in ter- terms of per hundred population. In there, there is so many things which have gone plainly wrong in, in Europe with vaccines. The whole thing with the border and the Article 16 from the EC, from Ursula von der Leyen, was a calamity. It was a total calamity. Mm. It undermined confidence, I think, in Ireland in, it, 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 on some level. It harmed our sort of, I think, the public's, you know, the grow we have for, for, for the idea of the European Union and that they'll always have our backs after everything that sort of happened with Brexit and how the European Union seemed to have Ireland's corner and it, you know, it, it, it sort of put Ireland front and centre on the Brexit negotiations. This time, though, it just seemed to people that Ireland was being sort of just misused, mishandled. It's such a such a sensitive thing as the border to be just thrown up in the air and then back, just you turned on immediately because they'd made such a cock up of it. Like that just didn't inspire confidence for people. Some of the deals with that, the AstraZeneca thing, which is going to, which is, you know, 
it's such a huge part of our vaccine strategy. The fact that that hadn't come in in such numbers that we needed. There was the whole debate about whether or not AstraZeneca would be approved for people aged over 65. That hasn't happened here yet. I mean, it's it's been deemed safe to use for people over 65. The AstraZeneca vaccine has been cornerstone of the UK for people, for older people. So that's why another reason you'll see a big gulf in numbers on that one. But I think there's a, there probably will be a change when more, more of the data that AstraZeneca has comes out and that maybe AstraZeneca vaccines will end up being used then for older people too. But it's hard. There's so many different facets to the vaccine thing. It, it, it couldn't be said by anybody that this has been... I don't think anybody, even if you were in government, and I know the people in government have made this point, you, nobody would give us an A plus or an A for for vaccine rollout so far. Mm. And that's from speaking to people to, at the very highest level of government. There are questions, even yesterday at the cabinet meeting, some ministers, including the Taunashta, Leo Bradka, were asking, why is this taking so long? Why is it going to take however many weeks to get all the over 85s done? Why is it going to take so long? Why, why, why are we hearing from GP practices now when we say that we're going to start doing the vaccinations of over 85s this week after Valentine's Day? Why are some GP practices coming back to us saying we're not getting any vaccines here until the 1st of March or the 5th of March? Like, there's frustration there seeping through at all levels, really. As I watch the, you know, the numbers go through the floor here by the minute, <laughs> you know, the silver bullet is in the chamber as far as I'm concerned. Mm. The vaccine is that silver bullet. And, you know, he, 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 the only answer I can think to what we've talked about there is that Boris was right when he said we'll be free to negotiate our own deals. You know, I, I thought, who's this gobshite? What's he talking about? Every, nobody exists in a vacuum. But he's proven that independently they could argue and create better deals than this huge trading block. I mean that we were led to believe that the, the power was in the unity, uh, but that's been borne out to be simply untrue on this instance. Now, something that like gets kind of brought up in a kind of flippant way is, you know, how can Pfizer be located in Ireland and this be our situation? Uh, is there any discussion of that? Like, I know that a lot of my questions, Richard, are. Yeah. What's the crack with that? <laughs> but for a I lot of it. Irish people abroad, that's, not, not that's kind of our question. Is what it's the fuck is that all about? It's what I get every day as well, <laughs> how, how, how is this happening? These places, we have like Europe's biggest, you know, FDI pharmaceutical industry. We have all these guys have, mm. have, have, have plants here. So many people are employed in pharmaceuticals. How come we don't have vaccines? Well, it's a different type of production. These are also mRNA vaccines as well for Pfizer-BioNTech, as well as for Moderna. These are these, it, it's effectively a lot of this is new technology. Mm. They set them up in, in, in their plants in different places. BioNTech, of course, is based in Europe as well. So you'd have imagined that could have gone better, but it didn't. I, it is interesting. Like I, I do try and keep abreast of how this how all this is being received across across Europe. And the anger in Ireland is not we're not on our own there with that. Like everywhere is going, what in the hell is happening with the vaccines? Why, if we are the like such a huge block of countries comes together and put in offers and put in bids, here's what here's what we're going to buy in adv advanced purchase from from the vaccine producers. And yet this is all it, it, it has been trickling out thus far. And a trickle is is, is fair for a lot of it. Mm. Last week, like, for example, the, the vast majority of our vaccines were held back. So that we would use our Pfizer, BioNTech and our Moderna's for the over 85s because we weren't going to be using the AstraZeneca, which was going to be the game changer. That was really going to be the speed up process. So we have to change plan again. 
So like the fact that we there there have been so many plans and they've had to change Germany and for example and different countries in Europe said yeah no we're not using AstraZeneca for the over 75s that does put a big halt on things especially when you think that things might just get to a point when they're going to speed up I do think we are going to see things speed up Jarlath and that's because they have to because there's no way things can go on this slow the rate of vaccinations is very slow also the, the fact of the matter is it is down to supply and there is an element of like and I do you do get flack on the internet when you say this you can't administer vaccines that you don't have you know and there is obviously that there was a huge issue in terms of what Europe bought what Europe was promised what was delivered to Europe what was delivered to Ireland that hasn't come in perhaps in the vibes we would have expected but we can't vaccinate people with, what, with what's not there and whenever I say that people are like well you're defending the government it's like well I'm not because I'm literally asking the questions of how do we get this wrong in the first place yeah you're defending but logistics it's like I'm, I'm defending the fact that our GPs and the people who are in the vaccination facilities like if you look at vaccine vaccination programs that we normally do on a, on a on a seasonal basis like flu vaccines gps in this country can hammer out flu vaccines like there's no tomorrow you'd get a million people in the country done if you had enough vaccines like you get them done over or over a week or two weeks mm. if the vaccines were there all the storage requirements and all that sort of stuff weren't as as stringent as the however many six hours you have after dilution of, of pfizer biontech for example like Things are difficult. Talk, talk to me about look, uh, zero COVID. Talk to me about who. what are zero COVID people? Uh, what is their movement? What is we can we be zero? And uh, I know for a lot of Irish people abroad, uh, they skim it and they go, oh, this is too, this is scary for me because this could actually mean that I won't be allowed back into my own country. Yeah, and I think that's that. That's kind of the point the government's making on it is that they're like, well, you could, it's like you, you, Leo Varadkar, of course, is, again, is, is is the person who sort of becomes sort of the, the lightning rod for this sometimes when he when he comes out and says, well, look, if you had, if you had zero COVID, you won't be flying home for Christmas and stuff like that, while also then saying that you won't be flying home for Christmas anyway because mm-hmm. we have to be mindful of variants this year anyway. But zero COVID is basically it's it's a strategy, and it's it, it, the best way to think of it is look at New Zealand, Taiwan. Australia and what they've done there. And when you see pictures of full rugby stadiums or people at concerts and Jacinda Ardern is, is, is going around at a barbecue celebrating, what they've done there is that they have, through a system of mandatory quarantine for people arriving into those countries, you spend however long, 14 days, 21 days, whatever, in a, in a, in a, in a hotel. You're not allowed to, to leave properly. Uh, you are you are kept under surveillance. You will undergo testing, all that sort of stuff. But you must stay in those facilities, and that's how you stop new cases arriving in from foreign travel. What happens then if there are cases which, which arrive in the community is that you'll have localized regional shutdowns, and everything will close up, and they'll root it out. And because they have such a low base of infection in the community, their contact tracing and the way that they find and they manage and they backtrace. Well, where did this case come from? because there's such a low base of it, it's a lot easier to do or, or that the public health specialists have more time to do it. That doesn't happen here as it stands. And that's why people are pushing for that. So what people are pushing for here is that sort of that hotel based quarantine. We're going to get a form of that, Charlotte. That's actually going to be signed off now in the next couple of days. But what people want is for everybody arriving into this country to have to spend a mandatory two weeks of quarantine in a hotel. Even from with England. private there it, i think i think this is this is an, that is an interesting point about that because i'm sure there's differences of opinion in the in the zero covid thing in the zero covid group where they'll be like 
Well, look, the biggest argument against zero COVID here in Ireland is the fact that we have a, an open border with the north, with the common travel area with the United Kingdom. If you're going to have a quarantine, a mandatory quarantine for people coming into the island of Ireland, there's a political sensitivity there because unionists in the north will not want to have a situation where they can't just hop over to what they see as their own country in Great Britain. There's a political argument around that. So what the government had been doing is trying to have talks with Boris Johnson's government about having a two-island approach. I don't know if that ends up in a situation where you have Ireland and the UK treated as one unit, like kind of like an archipelago of, of zero COVID, where people, if you're arriving, you can travel within Ireland and the UK freely, no problem at all. But then if you're coming in from Europe or from America to Ireland or the UK, you're, you're in quarantine. I'm not sure if that happens, but what that well, might That mean. is where I was going with this, Richard. Like, that's where I was going to take this, that surely for the UK's well-being, they need to donate or at least consider taking care of the vaccine supply in the Republic because of this border because of their situation there and the, you know, the special relationship in commas between the two countries that uh, the, has that come up as an argument at all? Yeah, uh, it, it's actually fascinating because I saw this come up. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I saw it on the front page of one of the one of the UK papers is probably the Telegraph or the Express saying we should. It was some who was it? It was your man Baker, Steve Baker, wasn't it? And he was sort of saying, yeah, we should do the, the honourable thing and we should give vaccines to the Irish, you know, that we should do the charitable thing there. But it has actually come up. I don't think there's going to be a question, like Michal Martin's been asked about this and he says, well, look, at the end of the day, everybody's going to have a surplus of vaccines. It's not a race. It's a marathon or, or, or some, some, some sort of a, a, a analogy like that. But, but like, that's a shite analogy. Like, it's, it's, I hate it. It's, it's, it's annoying. I, I think it's, it's so simplistic and it's, I think it completely devalues things. It doesn't speak to people's anxiety about it because it is important that people get vaccinated quickly. Hmm. You have people, though, like Mary Lou McDonald, the Sinn Féin president, says the UK should give its spare COVID-19 vaccines to Ireland because they will have a lot more available. If there's an excess of supply there and there's a capacity for that to be shared in Ireland, well, absolutely. Let's do it in the spirit of cooperation, the, the spirit of the fact that we do have a shared you know, a shared landmass here between Ireland and, and, and the North, like it, it would make sense. And the fact that, you know, our public health experts here, Neffet and Tony Hoolahan say, well, look, you can't really look at Ireland as, you know, two separate countries. You have to look at the island as one epidemiological mm. unit because that's an open border. People travel across it all the time. Although there are now obviously questions about that and there is going to be, there are new arrangements around that. Like, I mean, just as there is for, I can't go six kilometers from my house now unless I'm doing essential work, you know? So like the, the border question has been sort of tempered and somewhat because of those restrictions, but it's going to come up again. So like, I mean, there's a strong argument there to be made, but the fact that the, the, the counter argument is we're going to catch up here anyway. But how but much of the, how much of the approach is just them completely buried in the weeds? Like they're, they're, they're in a firefight on a daily basis and there's never a kind of time and I'm sure you feel this in your own job to actually just extract yourself from it and look ab above it all and go well hold hold everyone stop for a moment because you can't stop and let's see if there's are we are we handling this correctly at all you've had it haven't you 
Which? COVID-19. No, I haven't. I haven't had COVID. No, okay. I was I was self I was self isolating because I thought I had it. Oh, and yeah. I had the test yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that sort of jazz. Yeah. That was it. No, no, I didn't. I haven't had COVID nineteen as far as I'm aware. No, and you're not in any special group to get the vaccine itself. No, no, last night. No, we do we do everything. The priority list is there. Older people, people who are frontline healthcare workers, people with medical vulnerabilities, which is a very close thing to my heart, mm. knowing family members who have been very anxious about when they'll be getting the vaccine. And also the fact that they will say and they will point to the fact that in the UK, people with certain diseases, certain chronic illnesses are higher up the, the, the vaccine priority list than they are here. They point to the UK and they're like, how come they're doing it? Mm. How come they're doing this? They're, they're prioritizing people like this and they seem to be a bit more flexible about things. That's that. It's. A t- I don't have the answer to it. I don't have the answer to it. All. All we. All we get, Charles. All we get when we ask about this, and it is. It. It. It, it seems like a stock response at times, and it does become frustrating. This is actually this. This whole period now, from Christmas onwards, has been in many ways the most frustrating part to to, to report on. To be honest, it's very difficult. I'd say so. So when we ask, when we ask about, okay. We have the priority list here for vaccinations. You have different groups and you have different people in different jobs are asking, well, here's our reason why we think we should be higher up the production or the, the priority list for COVID-19 vaccines. Why aren't they? What's your response to it? It's, it seems sometimes to be a stock response of, well, it's a living document. It can change based on what happens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's such a cop out. I mean, I, I know there's considerations to be had there. And, I, and your view is that it's a cop out. It's, it's, well, it's my a tough view one is to that, sort of... But isn't that so Irish, though? You know, and I do it myself. Like, I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of that kind of thinking. But like, it's like, well, you know, everything. We can't think about that just yet. You, uh, look, don't be bringing that up. Should we never know what might happen down the... Like, what? No. We operate in a situation like this with a plan, a contingency plan, not a sure we'll jump that when we come to it plan. I mean, that's very Irish parenting way. Don't bring up the holidays. We'll see where we are when we get there and we'll see what we can afford. It, it's just not, it, it's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't instill confidence. And when I say about being buried in the in the weeds, I was going to ask you how much faith you have in these people that we have in charge there. Like when you, you've been seeing, I said this to you the last time, you see the whites of the eyes. You see whether they're panicked, whether they're overworked, they're not getting enough sleep whether they're, you know, how they handle difficult questions. You have an instinct for people over the years of doing what you do. What's the sense you get from these people? I think there's an element there. They are really conscious. I feel that there's a, that the government is very conscious of the swelling of anger that is out there. Some members of government, whether they be Leo Varadkar, Michal Martin or, or, or Stephen Donnelly, have become absolute lightning rods for anger and criticism. And that's 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 you, you, it's no secret to them that that is the case. You know, is there a fear there? I mean, I think they have confidence that the plan that is there is going to end up working. I know there's frustration because I've been speaking to ministers over the course of the last 24 hours, even though I've been off because, as I say, you're never off. And I hear that there that there was like arguments around the cabinet table about why is this taking so long and why aren't we doing this and why aren't we just going to use the AstraZeneca vaccine anyway? And come on, come on, come on, we need to get this going. It's I, I would definitely say things are fraught at the moment. I would definitely say that there is 
an element and there has been like communications is what it sort of needs to come down to as well and the communications of of, of certain elements of this have been i think the, the public has sort of criticized it as being very poor there's been elements of well how come the press weren't allowed to do this how come they weren't allowed into this briefing with the health minister yesterday what's going to happen there and there has been avoidable pitfalls left and right and center on this and i just feel like like I sort of said at the outset, I kind of feel like if things don't end up going better and noticeably better over the next number of weeks and months, well, next number of weeks, I would say, to be honest, it's not going to, you can't really sort of hold on for waiting for a couple more months for things to improve. If things don't improve over the next number of weeks and people can't see a marked improvement, well, then I think that there probably will be a lot more anger at it. And that goes for like things like people, people, there's an element as well you do need to you do need to remember, Jared, that we went through one of the worst third waves of any country. Like we went from having the best, the lowest COVID nineteen incidence rate anywhere in Europe, and that was a fact that was heralded by the government as look, we're doing the right thing here. And then things went very badly awry over Christmas into January, where we had the fastest deteriorating, worst incidence rate, all of that sort of stuff, with a really awful human cost. Which isn't, which hasn't been fully unpacked yet, and it, it's going to be difficult. I think there's going to be a reckoning on that in terms of people want vaccines because vaccines were the promise of the better day after all of that. If people don't see that happening quickly, people will get very angry. People will also want to see their family again, but they'll also have in their minds here things. If we loosen up restrictions, isn't what happened in December going to happen again? So things are going to be slower in terms of the opening of restrictions. There may be frustrations over that again. There will be questions about, well, what sort of sectors will be open? When are we going to get to see family members? Because family members, like, I mean, the point you're, you, you've you been sort of looking to, to make on, on sort of people from the UK wanting to come and see their families, that's going to be a very real concern. And people have been, have missed out on so much. But that happens here as well. Like people can't travel to their funeral. Like I, I've, the amount of people I've been talking talking to over the last month who've had to sit in their car and sort of watch the funerals sort of streamed from, from in, in like it's sitting in a, in a church car park streaming the funeral on their phone screen because they can't go inside and stuff like that and just like there's just there's just such a pent-up trauma anxiety anger stress which is a very volatile thing and i hope people you know mind themselves but there is a, a very real danger of, of stuff like that just sort of backfiring badly on the government just because what, what, what else is the outlet? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's something I probably don't allow in when. Mm. And I'm sure you can't do it either. But when you think about all of those deaths, I mean, you can get in these rows over this, that and the other. But you're talking 4000 plus people who have lost someone and 4,000 people that have died and then, you know, the wider circle of people that have been through that trauma it doesn't it doesn't go away magically, even if they do get a vaccine quicker than they had expected. I am interested in talking, though, about this hotel quarantine that you said we're getting a version of that. Mm. You, you mentioned your contacts and your sources within the doors. <sighs> How, how how readily do they give you 
info that isn't in the public sphere? And what's the understanding when they give that to you on something like the quarantine hotels? Not very readily. It, it can be tough. Like, I mean, like there is an understanding there that people want, like the, the, the reason they give it to you is because you have a very big audience of people who want to know what's happening and are very concerned about how this is all going to be handled. So like your sources and cabinet want people to understand what's going to happen, you know, mm. um, because you've built up a, a, a sort of a relationship there where, you know, you're not going to twist things. You're not going to like manipulate things. You're just there to get good, good information out to people. So like things like the Madrid Hotel Quarantine, like we already have our list. We have a list of, of 20 countries where that's going to apply to. That just needs to be put through the whole rigmarole of the doll and, and getting the primary legislation set up. Like it just, there has been an argument like there's like it's, it's always interesting to talk to cabinet ministers about how things were were approached and whether or not there was unity on things like like I do know that there are people in cabinet who would like to see a stricter approach to quarantine than is there like the idea that if you're not from those red list countries you, you quarantine at home and the guards will call around at some point but they can't enter the home etc 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 some people some people who are ministers will look at that and say well that's that's a very Irish solution to a, to a problem or that's not a great solution that doesn't really seem that enforceable you know, like, I mean, but at the same time, you can't have guards. It's like, I mean, how, how's a guard meant to make sure that you're going to stay in your bedroom or whatever like that? Mm. Like, it's 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 tough. It's it's such a it's a tough atmosphere. That, that sort of relationship of, of, of sort of getting good info out is just the nature of journalism, really, to, to be honest, you know, like it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, like once that legislation is in place, because people are going to have to pay for their own quarantine, etc. Guards are going to have a role in it. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be yet even the roles of how you pick what hotels are going to be used, what private security is going to be used. There's going to be a lot of things which are going to be unpicked in it. As, as you described, the weeds of this are going to be very interesting, really. Like, And I think that that's another thing. It's another pro- It's another issue which people are going to end up like somewhat getting bogged down in. Mm. You, you saw this piece in The Times that runs this week, Irish stranded abroad despite full recovery from COVID-19 and government acknowledges residual positives from people who are not a health risk. You know, this is a story about Irish people who are being prevented from traveling to Ireland from abroad because they are testing positive for COVID, even though they fully recovered from the disease and have undergone, you know, the required isolation period. And anytime the question of vaccine passports comes up in the UK, certainly, you can nearly hear the uh, raised voices of people saying that that not on my watch, that kind of thing. And some of that is performative. I definitely think that that's a great way of uh, getting voters to rally behind you as a political person, that uh, you would never encumber somebody's liberty in that way and that that Mm. will never happen. I will I will I will sooner die than see that take place. Where what is all that about? Like, I I, I know that uh, people will roll their eyes when I say, what is all that about? But, you know, we're through the looking glass. Look, we're, we're the killer disease has arrived. I mean, do, am I like, is this a thing where I remember Jerry Buting from Making a Murder saying to me, be very careful about doing those 23 and Me tests because he's like, you've just given them your DNA. Yeah. Uh, is that where some of the fear of this comes from that now you've access to my medical 
history. You can now make judgments on my ability to get a premium later on uh, that it could affect my ability oh, to get man. a mortgage. Is, is that is that kind of the conspiracy theory underneath that kind of ire? I don't know. I actually haven't encountered a huge amount on that, to be to be perfectly honest with you, Jared. I really just don't know. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about that. Like, I was only reading that thing about the residual positives there and, like, that being an issue with people who are looking to come home. But I haven't really seen a huge amount on that, to be honest. But, like, yeah. Yeah, there's... I, 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 really, I really... I don't know. But, I like, I mean, the big thing... The big thing which, like, people are talking about here... Who are who know what they're talking about when they're going to talk about epidemiology and people traveling from abroad and stuff like that that I don't think has gotten enough of a enough of an airing is the idea that just new variants which are not identified yet like and this is why like I mean earlier on you described the vaccine as a silver bullet and to a certain extent it is but the problem is that what happens when or if the virus keeps on evolving as it has been doing to become more resistant to the vaccine. And you have seen evidence of that already. Richard, I just think that when that happens, a a revised version of that vaccine arrives. Like, I really do believe that from talking to people in that area that they're they're like, yep, the new one's in. You can reprogram. Yeah, you can. You can. But the problem is, like, what happens? Like, I mean, you're, you're waiting to identify a variant. So the variant will already exist by the time you've identified it. And you already have like this is this is one of the arguments for the zero COVID. But but similarly, Richard, when when uh, and again, I'm using my yeah. my hat of I know all about immunology from yeah. eleven months on. But oh the gosh. people that I've yeah. spoken to on that issue have said that when it is twisting and turning and wriggling into new variants, it is the yep. last stings of a dying wasp. That's a sign that it's struggling to maintain its grip. Yeah, it's struggling. That's what it does. It, it, like, the fact that it's evolving into new variants is it, it's making itself easier to transmit because mm. humans have done a huge amount to make it harder to transmit through masks and social distancing, etc., etc. Definitely, yeah. But that is the thing. But the, the problem is that you have to... And like a lot of the optimism of a normal year has ebbed away because of these new variants. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And the fact that there is a potential now at this point for variants to keep on evolving, yeah. become more resistant to vaccines like do we have to like if you have to read it say so say okay here's 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 your doomsday scenario on that you ha- you have a country like the united kingdom you have a country like ireland and you say you get to a point where like two million people are vaccinated and then a new variant shows up and then you have to potentially do you have to reprogram and revaccinate everybody again mm, is that something I, you i think that that's where your that zero process? covid comes along that like yeah, to me, that is that, where that is the argument, you know? the, yeah, those people then go, right, well, let's kick into action with this thing that we've been banging on about for so long and go that that way to maintain this clean bill of health. I do need to bring up mm. no more than the strain that's on you. And I recognize that you're not in wards, mm. but there is a to- there is a strain. And I, I brought it up with you the last time that there must be times when it gets in on top of you. Uh, and that y- y- you must have had moments in this where you're like, what the what the hell am I now? What is this? Is this how life is now? Do you ever give time to that, to that part of you that is overwhelmed? And do you ever give time to the part of you that wonders, well, what what will normal look like 12 months down the road? 
Yeah, like no more than anybody else. Like as I sort of said, I think this has been sort of the most frustrating and the most difficult time of the whole pandemic to deal with, both in a professional and a personal level. Like it is just like everybody else is. Everybody like I'm fed up to hell a lot of the time. It's been very difficult. I always counteract that with the fact that every like there's so many people who've gone through a lot worse. And you look at their frontline healthcare workers, etc. Like what I what all the rest of us are going through is nothing in comparison to that. But mm-hmm. that doesn't that doesn't devalue the absolute misery that is inflicted on all of us on a daily basis by this pandemic. Um, it's really tough. There are days where I'm just like floored. You have feelings of like just a complete flatness, nothing to look forward to. I worry about my family. I worry about when I'll get to see them next. When will they get vaccinated? When will I see my girlfriend again? Because that seems like a long way off at the moment in terms of opening up county restrictions. That sort of stuff hurts. It's just a limiting on life, really, is what it is. Like it is, it's very difficult. Um, it's 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 really hard. And like, yeah, I've been doing. I've been trying to do more to sort of when, when I'm not in work to try and sort of, you know, have other things to look forward to and focus on more positive things like practicing yoga a lot more and mindfulness and just anything to distract hmm. started running properly over the last number of six months your podcast with Tanya have been great for that I will, as well I have to say great, great. Um, stuff like that just having like it's I would say now having like the, the house that I'm in I'm in a house share in in, in Dublin with um, two people at the moment two of both of whom I've been friends with for years it's great to have those sort of people around you who are sort of going through the same thing and you can sort of vent about it. Like Zara King, who's a, an, another reporter with me on Virgin Media News, like we're going through the exact same stuff daily. Like to be able to have that and sort of ha- almost have those sort of like group therapy sessions yeah. at the end of the day, once you're done, is brilliant. Like, what would it's you do tough without stuff it? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I'd crack. I do not think I'd be, have been able to survive the last 12, 20, 12 months without that. Do you know, without mm. being able to just come home in the evening, here, we'll crack a beer. Let's have a chat about what happened in our day and all that sort of stuff. Well, I, like, do, I do say this, Richard, and I, I will reiterate it now that uh, if you haven't heard from somebody, give them a bell. Uh, because, oh, my God, you know, totally. The, you're really, I, I'd actually, I'd, I'd add to that, like just people you haven't heard from and people you wouldn't even have considered just giving a call to. Do you know what I mean? Like people you might have fallen out of contact with or people who you know and you think that they might be having a tough time. Do give them a shout. Like, honest to God, it can make a world of difference. And it even make you feel good as well, because like human contact is something we're all missing out on. That feeling of friendship and just closeness to other people is something which, you know, it's 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 the, it's the antithesis of what we are as people. This a social animal to be so cut off from each other and for that close social contact to be a real danger. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like it goes completely against who we are as people. And like, so we have to do whatever we can to keep those keep those links up. So whether that's online or it's like phone calls and stuff like that. Well, I mean, everybody's sick of Zoom, though, like I mean, at this point. And that, that is true. There's a fatigue element to that as well. Yeah. I am sick the hell of, of, of sort of, you know, any sort of Zoom calls I have to do where, where previously you'd have met up for a drink or a coffee or something like that. Well, awful, awful um, stuff. But look, we got to do it. I want to say real quick that Jigsaw.ie are our chosen charity partner here and Richard mentions the running podcast with Sonia and Sonia's been doing amazing work the last 
three weeks to design some events for Lent, which seems like a lovely little 40 day window to get yourself moving and out there. She's designed a Mother's Day 10K event, a St. Patrick's Day 5K and then an elevation event for the week of Easter to see how high you can climb with your running. So the events are designed specifically for every kind of runner. So even if you're going to walk it, run it, walk it, check your ankles, check your knees and then run again. Watch those shin splints. Yeah, well, we've those talked a lot about that. Compression <laughs> compression sleeves for the old uh, shins is the way to go, Sonia reckons. But it is mainly about establishing that community, Richard. And that's what the listeners of that show have, have said, that they, they, it's a running club now. And right. it, it's about binding people together. And when you say... I'm sick of Zoom. I hope that you'll join us for our comedy club on a Friday night, which is kind of the uh, Zoom meeting on steroids. Uh, and our guest next week will be Ardlo Hanlon, Hal Cruttenden and Great. Sunil Patel. It's an amazing lineup. Rory Scoville joined us this Friday. Uh, it's just been that one has been a joy because you don't get that whole looking at yourself in the Zoom window. Oh, my God. Experience. It, I, I swear to God, it's not great for you, is it? When you, when you sort of see yourself out of one of those tiny little webcam things on top, top of your laptop. It's not a flattering angle. Nobody likes it. It's just so distracting. Always close that. That's my top tip. No, well, then, always yeah, well, shut that self view. That is, that is the beauty of the club is that you get to sit back and kind of have the gig come to you. Uh, it's It's been a, a joy to put it together. And I feel like it just brings that little bit of light in on a Friday. I think that you've brought an awful lot of clarity here, Richard, and you continue to do it in your reporting on the TV. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat to oh, me thanks, today. Man. And uh, yeah, I wish you the very best of luck. Stay safe and look after yourself. And uh, maybe in a few months time, we'll check in again and see what, uh, see how all of this worked out <laughs> with a fist in the air. Fingers crossed it all turns out, you know, it all turns out good. But, you know, let's let's see what happens. Thanks so yeah. much for having me, though. Jonathan. Absolutely, Richard. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure to talk to Richard Chambers. Uh, News Chambers uh, on Twitter is where you want to go to get his updates. Uh, He's absolutely superb on there just for a bit of clarity and on the ground information if that's what you need in your life. As I said, Marion McKeown joins me every Friday for an update on everything that's happening in America. And for the undocumented Irish, a big week coming up as Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, attempts to get his immigration bill through. I'll be talking to Lorcan Shannon, an immigration attorney in New York and friend of the show. Uh, So if you want to submit a question for him about your immigration situation or for relatives you might have over there, please submit it to irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com. On a Friday night, for a little bit of levity in these dark times, we've got the Irishman Abroad Online Comedy Club. And this Friday, we've got a hell of a lineup, including Ardle O'Hanlon. Yes, Irish comedy royalty joining us on the show this Friday night. Go to returnofthecrack.com to get yourself a stream ticket. All profits from the show go to frontline charities and we allow frontline workers in free because if anybody needs a laugh at the end of these weeks, it's them. Our chosen charity partner, as always, is Jigsaw.ie to hear our full episode archive, fully searchable and all our bonus content. Head to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. Brian Conley did all the production on this show. John Marr did the extra research. Special thanks to T. 
Tina and Mikey. And of course, Richard Chambers. We'll see him again soon. Take care of yourselves. Please uh, wear a mask, stay home, do what you can. We will get there. Feel like you do